Good morning. Let's see here. Is this working? Can y'all hear me? Yes. Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, that I've been given to speak. Uh, Andy is out of town. He is in Florida with his family at a, at a lectureship and uh, getting to spend some time with them. Um, I'm extremely thankful that I get this opportunity anytime I get to be uh, with you guys and, and uh, here this morning. It's always a great opportunity. Um, visitors, if you are visiting with us, we want you to know you are our honored guests, uh, and we are thankful that you are here. We are uh, so excited that you have chosen to be here with us this morning. There's plenty of places you could have been, uh, but you chose to be here, and, and we praise God for that. If you're looking for a place, uh, looking for a church family that's going to love on you, that's going to help you, that wants to help you get to heaven, uh, we hope that you found it. Uh, and we'd love for you to stay around and get us to let us get to know you a little better. We want to do that for you. I also want to highlight a couple things in the bulletin. Uh, man, there's some great information in here. Uh, and we've got a lot going on in the next couple weeks, so I want to make sure that I highlight these things. Uh, the ministry staff and our ministry leaders have been working incredibly hard to, to do some amazing things coming up. Uh, next Sunday, right after the Sunday morning uh, service, there will be a JA Teacher's Appreciation Meal. Um, that's a thank you for all of our adult and children's Bible class teachers. Um, you can sign up on the family board right out here. Uh, sign up today. Uh, also, in August, uh, there is Men's Day starting August 5th, and that uh, was announced earlier, Sam Brown's Farm with Neil Mathis. Uh, and then August 6th, I think is really cool, if you look on the back of your bulletin there, there's a little bit of information about something that we're calling Heritage Sunday um, which is an amazing thing. I think it's a really cool thing. Right before the start of school begins, or as the new year starts begin, uh, we want to take note of the challenges that our youth are facing and that our children are facing and really kind of encourage them. And Neil's going to spend some time talking about that, some great things. Uh, another thing is the Friday and Saturday, the Ladies' Day with Laura Jenkins. Uh, ladies, that's going to be an incredible thing. I know those women who lead that ministry have worked really hard. That would be a great thing. And then kind of rounding it up, uh, the workshop, uh, the song leading workshop at the end of the month, um, you can see Steve Letty for that. So many things going on, so many wonderful things that we have for you to take part in. And I, and I hope that you'll take a part in each one of those as you can. This morning, I want to start with something um, that I think is really interesting. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big golf fan, and the Open is happening uh, this weekend. It's kind of been a, a big deal. I've been watching it as much as I can. And really, it kind of made me wonder, and it really kind of made me think about some things as I've thought about watching golf in the past and watching some other things. Um, one of the most frustrating things to witness or maybe even to experience uh, can be the waste of great talent. You know what I'm talking about? Someone who has all the talent in the world, someone who has all the skills capable of someone who can be extremely effective in their field. But when it comes to the application of those skills, when it comes to the application of that said talent, it's lackluster at most, right? Like there's, there's moments of brilliance, but they're kind of quickly overshadowed by these moments of, of mediocrity. Many of you may know this, but I just said, you know, I'm a golf fan and I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, I don't know, something sparked in my mind and I thought about an example of this that was just really interesting to me. Um, and if you're a golf fan, you may know this. Uh, how many of you know the player John Daly? If you don't know John Daly, let me give you an image to put in your mind. Take Travis Tritt, put him in golf attire, and then put him on some of the nicest golf courses in the world. I mean, like beautiful, long-flowing mullet, great mustache, um, kind of an impressive guy, an impressive feat. Hit the ball a mile. John Daly was this guy who, when he came on the scene, he took the golf scene by storm. I mean, 
came out, he won two majors very early on in his career. He was running with some of the best. He was kind of hanging around with Tiger Woods for a long time. And one of the things that kind of was frustrating about John was he had all this talent. And based on his performance in his early career, John Daly should have been someone who could have won four, five, maybe six major championships by the end of his career. But Daly was not as disciplined as some of the other players. After each round of a tournament, you could find numbers, countless numbers of players in the practice areas working on things in their game, improving and trying to shoot lower the next day. But John Daly hardly ever darkened the door of a practicing area. But he darkened the door of many clubhouse bars, late-night poker games. And that's kind of where his life went. He's still on tour. He's still kind of around, but... John is one of those guys, this is kind of a forgotten legend. His talent was incredible, but his discipline was lacking. It's sad. It can even be frustrating when someone who doesn't take advantage of the blessings that they have or the investments that have been put into them. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Malachi. Turn to me to the book of Malachi. This mic's going to be making a lot of noise. I'm just going to switch to the podium one. In the book of Malachi, we see, and that if you're using the pew Bibles uh, in front of you and the pew backs in front of you, that starts on page 801, 801. And in the book of Malachi, we see something that's, that's really interesting. It's an interesting situation. This is written kind of post-exile days. The children of Israel are back in Israel. Um, they, they've gone through the, uh, the exile. They've been delivered by God. They've been rescued, and now they're home. And this is several years after that. And God sends a message to the people through his prophet Malachi. And it starts kind of an interesting way. Look at the way that God starts his message to his people. Let's pick up in chapter 1 and let's read verses 2 through 5. 2 through 5. Hear, all, hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you. Oh, sorry, that's Micah. I was wondering, I was like, that does not, saw the first M, so sorry. I was on the wrong page. Let me get there. I was like, that does not sound right. Okay, that's a great passage, but that's not the one we're going for. All right, Malachi chapter 1, here we go. Malachi chapter 1, excuse me, starting in verse 2, here we go. Uh, Actually, let's start in verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau's, uh, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts declares, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You may be kind of wondering, okay, this is a lot jumping into this, but you have to understand kind of the history of where Israel is at. You've got to understand God is taking a moment to kind of step back and work backwards almost. And he starts very early on, he starts with Jacob and Esau, that promise that is made with Jacob and how his lineage will be his people and how Esau because of that whole situation where he gave up his birthright they were almost enemies at a time they were a, they were a people against God's people and God reminds 
Israel. He starts this message by reminding him of, or them of his love, his protection, because it seems Israel has forgotten. They ask, well, how have you loved us? How have you loved us, God? And he reminds them of how he did not allow the Edomites. Um, but this is not just the Edomites that he's talking about here. He goes on, if there was more time, I'm sure God would give a list of all these nations and enemies that he had not allowed to take his people into captivity. God is trying to remind his people that he has protected them from countless enemies. That he has led them through wilderness and times of stress. He has led them in battle and not to mention he just delivered them from exile. God starts telling his people or really reminding his people of his rich blessings. And it's because of this. It's because that all that God has done for these people countless times. He is the deliverance that he has offered them. The faithfulness and investment that he has poured into them. You would think that these people would be more appreciative of what God has done. You would almost think that there should be a, a, a tone shift here, almost a, a way of praise for these people pouring back out to God. But look, let's continue reading. Flip over to Malachi chapter 2 and look with me in verses 6 through 14 and we'll start to see some of the behaviors and some of the response that the people give to what God has invested in them, what God has done with them. What have they done in return for God in his glory? Look with me in verse 2, or in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. True instruction was his mouth, and no, uh, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and upright, and he turned, turned many from iniquity. From the lips of a priest, and he should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all the people, inasmuch you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithful? Are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So there's a lot of things that are going on here. And when you start kind of looking at this and breaking this down, in verse 6 and 7, God says the priests have defiled his name. They, they've started to lead each other astray and they've actually married themselves to these foreign gods and they have, they've corrupted what God has said to keep holy. Verses 8 and 9 is what kind of the things they're sacrificing, these blind and sick and crippling things, the weakness and, and the worst of their flock. It's kind of an interesting thing when you start looking at this and you start seeing these people are not giving appreciation to God, especially in their sacrifices. What was the role of a sacrifice to bring appeasement or atonement before the Lord? It was most often a sin offering, a way of kind of making peace between God and his and the wrong that we have done. And what made it a sacrifice was that it cost you something. 
But Israel refused to give anything that would really cost them anything. They were just thinking whatever it was, was good enough. But God says they are putting things on the altar that they would not put in front of their earthly authorities. And based on the sound of it, they wouldn't even eat unless they were desperate. There's some different things here. It reminds, it is for this reason that in verse 11 through 14, as God continues, God reminds them of how great his name is. Just his name is worthy of the praise of all the nations. He is to be praised with the highest honor. And it wasn't too long ago that that is what they were offering But look at the response that they have, that God has a reminder. They say, what weariness is this? What weariness is this? And they snort at God. God is saying, don't you remember who I am? What I have done for you? Do you remember how I loved you and how I continue to love you? And Israel says, God, this is tiring your commandments, what you're asking us, this is tiring. We're, we're, we're bored of trying to please you. They were unappreciative of the investment that God had put into them to the point that obedience to God in even the simplest ways was too much. In fact, it gets so bad that we learn, if we keep reading on in chapter 3, that there's even more issues that are happening. There, there are some deeper evils that are happening. The people have decided even to not offer God their sacrifices worthy of his praise, but now they're keeping the things that are rightfully his. They're not bringing their tithes to the storehouse. Not only are they not sacrificing to God, they're not giving him what is rightfully his or what is commanded of them to give. Israel has lost their appreciation for the investment that God has put into them, and they don't care to return that appreciation to God. How frustrating is it to read a story like this? How can Israel act in such a way to, God, to, God, to a God that has given them everything? Don't they know he is the reason they are free? He is the reason they have the promised land. He is the reason they have what they have. How can they respond to such a loving and merciful God with such disrespect? It's a story that when I read it and when I really studied this book, it, it frustrates me. And when I read stories like this, it's so easy sitting on the outside to point fingers and wag my fingers and and say, look at how terrible that is. But if I'm going to be honest with myself, after studying and reflecting on these passages, my frustrations quickly turned away from Israel and turned more to myself. Because I realized that there have been several times in my life that I have been just like Israel And one of those moments happened actually just a few weeks ago. Behind me, there's some several pictures on the screen, and these were all taken from a trip that me and about seven high schoolers, seven of our high schoolers and the interns uh, went on. It's a trip that's called Chisel and Sculpt. Um, you may have heard some announcements seen in the bulletin. I was blessed enough to actually be a part of this trip when I was an intern at Mount Juliet. And what this trip is, is it's, it's a 48-hour endeavor across multiple locations. Um, we traveled all across Middle Tennessee to various different places, hearing from various different people who are using their God-given talents and passions to glorify God in their careers. And we got the opportunity to hear from some incredible people. 
I won't give you a full list, but I want to tell you about some of the people that we got to meet. We started uh, our Sunday, or our, yes, our Sunday afternoon, we started uh, with uh, Congressman John Rose, a member here, and we got to sit down and talk with him and learn his story, and he talked to our students about the importance of Christian character, of developing that and keeping your integrity as you pursue your career, and how important Christian character and boldness is in the youth and in our faith, especially in this time. After that, we met with a guy, a man named Steve Cantrell. Steve is a member of the Creve Hall Church of Christ, uh, and Steve has an incredible story. He, he, was, uh, he went to medical school. He started out being a facial reconstruction surgeon. He was doing surgery. He was teaching on a university board, and then his life kind of gets derailed. Uh, he, he gets a very bad case of, of melanoma, and, and it almost kills him. And Steve, through helping and through his research through the uh, University of New York there, he actually comes up with something that works really well. And Steve said, you know, if this helped me, maybe it can help others as well. Steve now works in a private clinic that does private cancer research where he ministers and helps patients who are suffering from such a terrible disease. It's a very powerful story, and we got to talk with him about contentment. We got to talk to him about so many things. One of the more interesting men that we met was a man named Pat Wagner. And Pat is a guy who works in real estate for, for a large corporation, but Pat does something really interesting. He does a Waffle House ministry. Pat goes to a different Waffle House every day and meets someone different and studies the Bible with them. Uh, he goes to multiple Waffle Houses every day. Uh, wherever he's working, in Nashville, he goes to a different Waffle House every day, at least once a day, and he has had so many conversions and so many stories. The Waffle House we met him at, there was actually a lady, a waitress who was working there, uh, and she has actually started her own Bible study at that Waffle House with several people because of what Pat is doing. Uh, Pat is simply one of those guys who says, I just ask people what they need, and I try to help them. He has a job ministry where he guarantees people within 30 days he will find them a job in their field. And through that ministry, he has helped over 1,600 people find full-time jobs in their career over the 16 years he's been doing that. Uh, we, we talked with some other people, John and Angel Thomas. Uh, John's an elder at MJ, Angel, his wife. They're walking through a very tough bout with cancer right now, but something that they've been doing is actually blessing people even though they're suffering. They're using this time and their resources to bless others. And then we actually finished with Jay and Sandra Keff. Uh, that's our, our intern's parents, uh, Jameson's parents, who shared their amazing story of adoption. So many great stories. I could go on and on and on about the wonderful things that we saw on this trip. But one of the things that really kind of stood out to me and really where this whole thing came from is actually the, the verse that has been read, uh, quoted twice today, 1 Peter 4.10. The idea of this trip really comes from this verse, uh, which reads, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, as, God's, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And this really, the whole point of this trip was to show our students that God has truly given us 
blessings. God has given us all blessings. This is extremely evident through the pages of Scripture. God makes it clear to his people and to his church that he has created us individually and he has given us talents and purpose. I wish we had time to go through some of these passages, but I want to kind of throw or lay these on you so you can look at them yourselves. These are passages you're probably familiar with. Looking at 1 Corinthians 12, that whole dialogue that Paul has about how there is one body but many members, all who serve different purposes to work for the unity of the church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 is very similar where God or where Paul gives this list of roles, these people who serve these different areas yet all serve for the unity and the sake of Christ and building up the body. But not only has God given us these talents, but he expects us to use them. The purpose of this trip was to show these students and really to show me and something I learned very quickly is my talents, my skills, my passions mean nothing. They are useless If we are not taking these things that God has given us and using them in our daily walk. No better place do we see that shown than in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. We'll briefly kind of run over that. I wish we had some more time to go over that passage, but you might be familiar with it. Jesus tells this story of a master who's going out of town and he gives three servants an amount of money. To one, he gives five talents. To one, he gives two talents. And to the last one, he gives one. If you know the story, the one who was given a five is a smart businessman. He goes and invests it, and he doubles his master's money. The second one does the same. He goes and invests it, and he takes his two talents and turns it into four talents. But the one who is given one, knowing his master was a hard man, he was scared that he might lose it, so he buries it and gives it back to the master. Which one was the master upset with, if you're familiar with this story? It was the one who buried it, right? And you think, well, well, why is that? The other two were far riskier with the money. There was always the chance of losing it. There was always the chance of failure. But the master wasn't concerned about that. Rather, he was concerned that the one who was given this talent did not use it. He decided it was better just to, just to bury it, leave it. He did not, the master did not get any return on his investment. One of the things that this trip showed me, and, this, and as I was studying this lesson and as we go back and thinking back to Malachi, I thought about how sometimes, even in this trip, my trip, this was made evident to me, my selfishness and my comfort has caused me to be unproductive with my talents, in my faith and with my talents and my blessings. It was this trip and hearing from all these wonderful people that I realized just how much I can be like Israel in Malachi, where I can become so comfortable in my own bubble, where I can become so, so possessive of the blessings that aren't even mine to begin with, to become possessive and selfish of the resources that God has given me, that instead of using my talents for God's glory, I use them for myself and give God what is left over. It was in these moments that I realized I was not being a good steward of what God has given me. And there were strives and there were things that I could do to be better. What is a steward? A steward is simply a person who manages or looks after the things left in his care. God calls us all to be good stewards with what he has given us. And I believe that should and does go deeper than just our physical possessions, 
But as we have been talking about for the last several weeks, as we've been walking through the book of Colossians, this should carry into all aspects of our lives. How we spend our time, how we use our talents, all of these resources that God has given us, he wants to be a part of the equation as we decide how to manage those. Because he has left these in our care, and he wants a return on his investment. And he believes that we can do that. So this morning, I want to leave you with just a few things. I want to leave you with some steps that we can take to put a better focus on how we can become better stewards of God's, of God's grace and of his blessings. Going back to our text in Malachi, the problem starts when Israel uh, says that we have done this. We have provided for ourselves. We have created these things because it turns out, because it turns them except from a worship of God, to a worship of themselves, not a worship of where the gifts truly come from. They lose the idea that these blessings that are in their care were not theirs to begin with. And when we recognize that the blessings in our care is not ours, we simply become less possessive of those things and are much more freed up to share them. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When I become possessive of the blessings that God has given me, when I start to think that I can provide everything for myself, then I start to see less value in God. I become selfish with my talents, and I use them for my glory instead of the one who gave them to me. When in reality... I have provided myself with nothing. It all comes from him. The second thing I think that we need to remind ourselves when we're looking at how can I be a good steward is remember that you are equipped and who it is that equips you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. But I particularly love the last verse, and I'll read that for you. Ephesians 2, 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This verse is so powerful to me because it communicates that God has created me. He has created you. He has given me and you talents. He has equipped us with all things necessary to do good and powerful works that will point people to him. He has invested into us by redeeming us through the sacrifice of his son so that we may be freed from sin and he has given us purpose once you were sinners you were sins you were the sins and transgressions of your former life but now through Jesus and through his grace we are his workmanship equipped with everything necessary to do good works That alone should be enough to tear down any of the barriers or the obstacles stopping me from being a good steward of God's grace, to being a good steward of God, the creator of the universe. He sent his son to set me free so that I may use the talents he has given me to bring glory to him and have a fulfilling life. But the fact of the matter is that the obstacles that get in our way The obstacles that get in our way of doing this, fear, discomfort, embarrassment, sacrifice, sometimes even my own plans and my plans for my life, 
But I think the ones that is the most powerful that prevents us from truly taking the step of faith in so many areas of our spiritual walk, and not just even when it comes to stewardship, is uncertainty. What is going to happen if I choose to live this way? What is going to happen when I give this area or this resource that I have been holding on to, that I have held control over for so long? What is going to happen when I let go and I give that to God? Turn back with me and, and look, if you've, if you've moved, back to Malachi chapter 3. And in Malachi chapter 3, there's this really amazing verse, and I want to read it with you. This is God's response to them not bringing the full tithe to the storehouse. Look with me in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We so often talk about passages of Scripture where God is going to test us. He's going to give us things to make us stronger, to purify us. But rarely do we ever talk about passages that God tells us to test him. That's what happens in this text. In this passage, God says, listen to what I am promising you. Remember my faithfulness. Remember how I have delivered you. You can't outgive me. You can't outwork me. You can't outbless me. Try to. God is saying, I have given you all of these things. I have told you to use them. I have told you I would bless you in your use of them if you use them for my glory. Now test me. Make me put my money where my mouth is. Take the step and make me follow through. Let me show you my faithfulness to my people. I love that verse. It's a verse that has gotten me through a lot of really hard times. It's a verse that's reminded me of the great and powerful God that I serve and the God who is on my side at all times. What would this look like? How much do you trust the God of the universe to deliver you to deliver on his promise? How much do you trust the God who is saying these words to you? Enough to take a step outside of your comfort zone? Enough to have a conversation with your friends? Enough to use your talent or your business or whatever the thing that God has given you. Do you trust him enough to think of yourself less? Enough to give up control in that area of life that you haven't allowed him into? I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know all the things happening in your life. But I do know this. God sees value in you. He sees purpose in you. He has given you something that he believes with all of his heart that with him you can make a difference with. And he so desperately wants to help you make that difference. How do I know this? Because 2,000 years ago he came in the form of a man, Jesus, the Son of God. He came to give his life to cleanse us from all sins and obstacles that get in the way of that, that have pulled us away from our true value and our true purpose and because he has done that for you, he wants you, Christians, to think big and live even bigger. He wants you to set out to do things that if God does not show up, they won't succeed. He's counting on that. What would change in your life if every morning you woke up with the mindset of God has promised to be faithful, so I'm going to live like it? 
If you aren't a Christian this morning, God has laid his cards on the table. He has shown you what he wants to do with your life, that through his son, that through his grace brought by his, by his son, he wants to shower you with steadfast faithfulness so that you may do good. If that is something that you're interested in, we would love nothing more than to tell you more about, about this, about our God of great faith. And you can be baptized into him through Jesus Christ, his son, for the forgiveness of your sins and be raised to walk in a newness of life, a life under the faithfulness and mercy of our great and powerful God. If you were a Christian this morning and you're struggling and you need your, your brothers and sisters around you, we want to do that for you. We want to pray with you and we want to walk with you in the faithfulness of God. But I want to leave you with a challenge What are you doing this week? What are you doing in your life that is so big that if God does not show up, it won't succeed? And if that seems unreasonable, then maybe you're thinking about God too small. If you have any needs this morning, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?